this last year has been historical in ways that like you wake up every day and there's things that are museum kind of worthy things like a pandemic to live through you know things like somebody trying to be dictator of a free country like america and almost getting there like decades and even centuries from now this digital file will be a way to reflect and tell stories of nostalgia on what we've just lived through Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Encrypted Podcast. Encrypted is the Middle East's largest podcast dedicated to blockchain, crypto, and the fintech ecosystem. I'm your host, Ahmed Abilahi. In this special episode, we welcome Ryan Gill, the CEO and co-founder of Crucible. I was very fortunate to be in the same cohort at the Outlier Basecamp Accelerator with Ryan, where he was building Crucible and I was building Biconomy. And it's just been amazing to see how far we both come. And really, this is a special episode where we talk about NFTs, which are non-fungible tokens. We discuss what they are, why they're important, and the amount of new value it will unlock in what Ryan calls the open metaverse. We also discuss the crazy record sales of NFTs and what a direct-to-avatar economy is all about. Now, before we start, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, BlockFinex, the global cryptocurrency exchange where you could trade your crypto assets in seconds. With one of the fastest matching engines in the space and high liquidity, you could trade your favorite cryptocurrencies quickly and seamlessly. Blockfinex offers one of the most competitive trading fees compared to industry-leading competitors, as well as a quick onboarding process for its users. You can find them at blockfinex.com. Also, I'd like to thank those who've been supporting the show, and remember you can support us in any way possible. You can subscribe, rate, and review the show, sharing the podcast on your social media, and any other way you feel like supporting. And now, onto the show. Nick, do it live. Do it live. Awesome. Ryan, thank you again for coming on to Encrypted. I've been wanting to do this for some time, and I think we've actually managed to find the right time and the best time to have this conversation. And yeah, so do you want to do a quick introduction to yourself? And after that, we'll go into NFTs, explain what that is. We'll look into people and sort of see what that basically means for this world. And then look into what you know you guys are doing at Crucible and how you're expanding the NFT space. Yeah, absolutely. So to rewind back, I lived in LA for probably the last 10 years or so. When I first got there, it was really more about film and television. So I worked in, in Hollywood for a couple of big directors. And at that time, really the most innovative things happening within content was in technology with Netflix. So I kind of followed that path and I, I followed technology. I followed the startup sort of mindset, venture capital. Years before I had chosen to drop out of college and just go straight to the market and, and just try things. So I really spent, you know, several years trying a lot of different things. So there's a laundry list of companies I started with celebrities and I learned about Bitcoin because I was developing a television series around the Silk Road. And the way that Ross set up the Silk Road, the payment was through Bitcoin. So I was always aware of Bitcoin. And I was actually pitching it to people like, you know, Ridley and Tony Scott's executives. And it was an interesting time. No one was really getting it. And, and then I kind of rolled into other parts of LA culture. And I worked at Rock Nation, which is Jay-Z's company. I did a lot with like the sneakerhead and streetwear world. A lot of friends had companies that now are, are pretty big, like High Snobiety and Hype Beast and and I tried to bring the Web3 thing and into that world and try to connect crypto and culture. And most people just weren't getting it. 
at best you would have some some people who made money in Bitcoin, but they weren't connecting like how significant it was. So I actually decided to go work in Tokyo and do some blockchain work out there. Mm. And that got me on the radar of a lot of people back in, in LA and I helped sort of build the blockchain ecosystem in LA. We had something called DNA, which was started by Brock Pierce. And it really gave me the opportunity to kind of see all the best deals in the world. And then I got contacted by Peter Diamandis and it was a moment that he wanted to kind of understand and, and figure out where the opportunity was. So he asked me to come in and kind of, you know, educate and teach him and his whole ecosystem all about, you know, what was happening with Ethereum and what was happening with these ICOs that he was getting contacted about all the time. And so a combination of like working in Japan and Tokyo and working with Peter Diamandis, who's the chairman of XPRIZE and Singularity University and somebody who sets companies up to like mine asteroids for resources and extend the human lifespan, like between all of that existence, like I got to step into the future and and spend a couple of years there and and really kind of form my idea of like where I think we're going, you know, and I met a lot of great people along the way and I started companies with a lot of the wrong people along the way, but I sort of spent the 10 years in LA really with this, this thing I kept repeating to myself was like, your 20s are to set up your 30s, you know, the receipt of this next 10 years in your 20s from from 2010 to 2020, that is really about trying everything, you know, go out there, try different things, process of elimination of the things that you don't want to be doing. And so all of that really sort of culminated at, you know, 2020 when I, I turned 30 years old and, and kind of got this company started around some of the ideas that I had kind of generated from all my experiences. And just generally like a thesis on where I think we're all going and where I think the opportunity is. And most importantly, what I think is missing because there's a lot of technology that's moving really fast. One of Peter's kind of mottos was all about exponential change and exponential growth and innovation. And we're really just starting to feel that. I think now it's something that a lot of us have talked about and reflected on, but you know, the extreme rate of change and the exponential growth in Moore's law like we can now feel how fast it's going. And prior, it was really just something that intellectuals would talk about. And so, you know, I have a couple really strong ideas and a thesis on what the next 10 years look like. And between my partner, Toby and I, we've formed a company and the company is a full expression of those ideas. Awesome. Thank you so much. And yeah, no, it's great to so I yeah, from the first day at the accelerator, right? I loved what you guys were doing. And it just seems like, you know, seeing everything that's happening in, in the space right now is an embodiment to that and also just allowing you guys to even showcase to others, you know, that how you were thinking and why we're very close to sort of that journey and that end. I guess, you know, I wanted to really get into the topic of, you know, lots of people, even my brother, one of my brothers, right? I told him about Bitcoin for the past couple of years. And like, he's the most laziest person on earth. And he just bought a very small amount. But as soon as he heard about NFTs and he saw NBA Top Shot and all of that, like, I kid you not, he was like a kid in the playground, right? <laughs> and he was asking me all these questions. And I actually got him to use MetaMask, which is, which is pretty crazy. But he did all of that because he was really fascinated by these sort of this new concept of digital collectibles and really for, for those who are sort of 
first time hearing about NFTs or trying to learn about it, do you want to sort of go into what NFTs are and why they're important? Yeah, you know, if I'm being honest, I've known about NFTs for a long time. I've always like really studied things from the primitive level. So like understanding fungibility and non-fungibility has been pretty straightforward since the beginning of the blockchain evolution and the tokens. But it wasn't until super recently that, well, not super recently, I think it was probably the last like year and a half, two years, where I started really paying attention to what was happening with like the creative energy around NFTs. And I mean, to be completely frank with you, the style of which NFTs were in like early crypto art era wasn't my style. It never got to a place where I thought like this stuff is valuable to me and like I would really want to buy or collect it. But I could watch what was happening. And even like many years ago, I met Crypto Graffiti. He's somebody who's like major OG in in Bitcoin art. And actually, I really liked his stuff. We did an event in LA together at the Museum of Flying all about the blockchain. And so I got to see it from that perspective. Josie also was around at that time. And I also kind of liked her stuff. So I saw like the, the skill level and the talent level was starting to, to shape up. And at the same time, I knew about motion graphics. Like I knew about Beeple and Ash Thorpe and just the stuff that I really loved. And I just connected really early. I remember like a year and a half, two years ago, I was at this motion graphics party that production club did in LA and Mike was there. And I was just kind of like wrapping my head around how cool it was going to be when all of these talented artists started to realize the opportunity with, with NFTs and with crypto. It hadn't happened yet. But in my mind, I kept saying like, when a Beeple does this, it's going to be like a watershed, you know? And Beeple and Ash Thorpe were the two names that I would always kind of say. So it's actually super full circle now to have just come from that room where Beeple did a $70 million Christie's auction with Ash Thorpe in the room and also PlayStation and all these really amazing artists, even some of the directors from like Chris Cunningham and Spike Jones days, like all of these like really legacy music video directors, visual effects people, motion graphics people, ultimately a lot of people that made their living with brand and client work. Mm. You know, some of the best talented artists in my opinion, in the world, have never felt like artists because they weren't accepted by this legacy art system. And that's like why this today is so significant because Christie's is legacy art. You know, it's a 250 something year old legacy institution in the elite traditional world of art. It has its clout and its posture and it's tried this thing and it's now been incredibly successful as the number three most valuable work of art by any living artist, digital or physical. And it's yeah. just the first one they've done. You and know? Beeple and, is the name of the artist, right? As in, like Mike, his name is Mike Winkleman. Beeple is his yeah. sort of stage name, isn't it? Yes. And so I wanted to say that like I was aware of it and I've been working in it for a long time, but it really wasn't until, you know, Ahmed, you brought me to that group where like People like Colby that I know from from LA, who's now started the Museum of Crypto Art. And I saw a bunch of people in that, you know, from the space that I've known for years in, in other contexts. But Metaverse Minds Groups was actually, I think, initially more about the metaverse, but then shaped into NFTs as yeah. as things was like really starting. It was perfect timing, you know, to to kind of start to build the relationships again with everyone. And, you know, we were in that group right sort of months before this this took place 
you know, and, and this has been a narrative that has gradually taken place. I think it wasn't until pretty recently that like the motion graphics world even paid attention to this. And Beeple was definitely the the person that did that. You know, the first auction on Halloween, right, was was the first one that was small couple drops and just kind of toe in the water. And then about a month later, that was the 3.5 million one, where a lot of the people in that group were the ones that, that were bidding on it. And then I was also very early on Clubhouse in the middle of last year and started out very small and grew big as all of this was happening. And so I was one of the key voices to bring like the, the NFT and the metaverse discussion to that platform. And I would argue that the reason why the, the way it's happening with NFTs is for two reasons. One, because artists aren't on set or touring. Yeah. And if they were, I don't think they'd be looking at it this seriously. And two is because Clubhouse has created a community aspect of doing this together and being a part of these things together. We create like live drop rooms for everyone. Thank you X is another really good friend of mine from LA. We've known each other for years. And now it's just become this incredible family in this community, you know? Mm. And it's and it's probably like, in my opinion, one of the best communities ever. It's just yeah. uh it's such a tight knit, great community of the most talented people on earth right now that are finding their voice. They're able to leapfrog their position that they've only been able to do client work. Like to have someone like G Monk come in the room, who, if you don't know G Monk, is no idea. Like, you know, the level of like skill and sort of creative brilliance that this guy has is incredible. And he's one of these guys that kind of came up with the Beeples of the world and they used to kind of tour and do art together. Mm -hmm. But to have him come on and say, like, the era of us having to do client work to make a living is over. (laughs) You know, wow. like yeah. that, that is over now. We get to do the art we want to do, find collectors and then choose and be selective with the brands that we want to work with. I think you've hit the nail on the head on, on to why that's important because for this, for this existing group of collect artists, right? Who, who are still trying to find their way and they've been blocked by this sort of legacy system. NFTs, sort of these non-fungible tokens, which are essentially, you know, cryptographically linked to the blockchain and allows for, you know, and it's great. I mean, like I've participated in some drops. Some artists have a one out of one drops. There's a limit to one piece being minted up to 9,999, depending on on how the drop works. It's fascinating to see that. And what, what I like about this as well is what you mentioned, right? It feels like it started off from all these, like, you know, where you mentioned crypto and culture. And it was sort of the emergence of these two and then all these like WhatsApp groups forming like Metaverse Minds, right? <laughs> and then just seeing it all bubbling up to, to where it is now. I think it's, you know, I think, of course, COVID to, to a large extent has played a huge role into seeing the, the emergence of NFTs. I've got so many questions, by the way, but I guess I'll, I'll let Nick. I got one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you, you mentioned Metaverse and obviously NFT. So for anybody who's listening to this, is is there a difference? Is NFT part of the metaverse or vice versa? So I never describe NFT by defining fungibility. It's just not the right way in. An NFT allows you to prove ownership for something without anyone's permission. So the same way you can have like a currency on blockchain with Bitcoin or Ethereum. I know arguable whether those are currencies, but the same technology and encryption allows now people to do that with art and creativity and music and any other form of of thing that you want to prove the ownership for. And so this just happens to happen in a time when collectibles are now having a resurgence 
And so mm-hmm. digital collectibles make sense. So NFTs is the way that digital collectibles are scalable. It's the way that art and creativity can have supply and demand, you know, in, in a scalable economy that is virtual. It is also ways to prove physical ownership as well. But what we're seeing adopt first is visual art, motion graphics, the kind of stuff you saw on Instagram for a while. And now music with Blau. 70 million is a big number, but wasn't so long ago that Blau just did almost 12 million with an album as an NFT drop. So, and fashion is coming next. And my company is about gaming and how gaming creates really the environments where this will live and it will live on. And so at the very macro of what we're doing, Crucible is creating tools to make this sustainable for the next generation. And that is a generation that actually just natively sees the world as gaming. It's not something you need to overly explain to them. Fortnite and Roblox are played by virtually every kid that is a certain age. And Roblox, if you don't know it, it's a user-generated gaming platform that every kid that you know plays. That company just went public on the New York Stock Exchange for something close to $45 billion. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, today has just been an amazing sort of form of records for, for this genre. So it's, it's been pretty cool. So to, to your other question, it is not the same, but I do believe that NFTs can be seen as sort of the the building blocks of a metaverse economy, right? NFTs allow you to withhold supply, prove scarcity, things that are important for supply and demand, and do it in a way that can be infinitely scalable in virtual environments. So again, to go back to video games, a lot of these games make billions of dollars selling skins. And mm-hmm. from the file perspective, a skin in an NFT is the same thing. Yeah. Now, the difference is that a skin is a file owned by a company in their server. And so you have a generation of people who at the same time are living in a lockdown in their home and they're playing games and they're buying NFTs. And it's not going to take very long for people to look at that and say, well, I own the NFT. There's a secondary market here. Mm-hmm. And I'm putting all this time in the games. I'm buying all this stuff, but I don't actually own it. There's no secondary market, right? And just from a gaming perspective, there's there's two stats. One is if a developer goes cross-platform, it can lift revenue from 20 to 35%. And the other is now we know 64% of gamers want to spend even more money on these skins, but they want that real-world value that they're learning from NFTs. Yeah. And we're just seeing a glimpse of that already. I'm playing on this game called Avogotchi, which is on Polygon. And it's essentially a play on Tamagotchi. And you basically breed these sort of avatar ghosts. You purchase wearables and all of that. And, and there's a secondary market for both the Avogotchis and the wearables. And I literally just saw one getting listed on a marketplace for $120,000 just because of its rarity and the wearables it's wearing. Right. And this is just a very small, this is just scratching the surface of what what could happen in the future. And that's that's what's really exciting. And I think just to add on to what Ryan's saying in terms of the skins, but also, you know, we mentioned a lot about art, right? I mean, the fact that you essentially can just collect digital content is and di- digital collectibles is is highly valuable. And not not just in the context of art, but Ryan mentioned music as well. I think there was also this concept called Euler's music. I think you've seen that Ryan before as well. Right. Yeah, that's generative music. Yeah. Can you explain that a bit? Yeah, generative music. It was invented by a guy named Ty Roberts and artists like David Bowie really did this a Mm. lot. 
with Brian Eno and and it's the idea that algorithmic music can be created and it could be dynamic and there can be many different combinations of melodies and all kinds of new music can come from that but it's a it's an automated form of generating new music and new melodies yeah and that was also an nft as well right you're talking about eula beats right eula beats that's one not you yeah eula beats yeah 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 that's scratching the surface you know i think much like crypto punks to a lot of people would look at aesthetically and say like why is that selling for a million? You know, like mm-hmm. one of the crypto punks just sold for a million. I think people outside of this culture would look at that and just be like, huh? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but uh, I think it's the the aspect of it being so early and so new and the historical significance of that. There are only a hundred of these crypto punks. And so the supply is set. And so the more NFTs become bigger and more popular, We'll look back to say that was that was where it started, you know. That was an early expression of this thing. So Plow's album, People's Auctions, the Artifact Studios and Fuosha sneaker drop, mm. like these will be the firsts, you know, when when this is the way the world works and business is done this way, this will always be kind of the fossil of the way to collect that cultural moment. Because I think we forget, you know, we're always living through history but like this last year has been historical in ways that like you wake up every day and there's things that are museum kind of worthy things like a pandemic to live through like you know things like somebody trying to be dictator of a free country like america and almost getting there like these have been things that have been historical that's again to go back to people why it will live on and it will keep its values because mm-hmm. decades and even centuries from now this digital file will be a way to reflect and tell stories of nostalgia on what we've just lived through. So I've really started to begin to look at NFTs in this moment as collectible culture, ways of collecting culture. You know, NBA Top Shots is like memorializing that play and Beeple is memorializing the world and current events through his lens. And I think we'll start to see a lot more of that kind of thing. And I think those are the things that will hold value even when there's a correction in the market. Before we move on, here's a quick word from our sponsor, Blockfinex. Blockfinex is a global cryptocurrency exchange where you could trade your cryptocurrencies in lightning fast speed. With Blockfinex, you trade with low fees compared to other exchanges. With one of the fastest matching engines in the space with massive market leading liquidity, so you can quickly and easily trade your favorite coins in seconds. Now, they just launched, so do go and check out their site for exclusive offers. You can find them at blockfinex.com. What I like about this is how much growth exists for all of this. Just the sheer volume of talent that's going to open up and be able to generate income from their work, but also just the sheer utilization in gaming environments, in movies, <laughs> just wherever there's, wherever there's art, wherever there's a piece of unique content, let's call it, it can actually be commercialized by the originator rather than just sitting out there and just not having the ability to have a marketplace. Well, it's funny going back to like the Hollywood mindset is one that is a pattern matching mindset, much like venture capital. They need to see something do well to believe that it can do well and to continue to put investment into it. And as an example, I'll I'll say when I went to Hollywood, this wasn't even behind closed doors. The common belief 
from leadership at these companies was that women-led movies don't sell globally and black actor sort of led casts don't sell globally, like from a foreign pre-sales perspective. And then you had Bridesmaids, right? Like smashed it. And then you had Black Panther mm. smashed it. And now, mm. like you see the industry start to shift and, and think, oh, well, we got to do that a lot more, right? And so it makes you think there's these gatekeepers that have existed that dictate what everybody wants, what everybody's demand is in the market. And they're only right about the sliver of what they've seen. Imagine what NFTs can do for the whole independent short film, film festival circuit. All of these incredible filmmakers who have ideas that they put tons of money of their own money and their investment into just as a calling card to get to the festival circuit so that they can get these gatekeepers to believe in them and so that they can fit that pattern matching. But now you can actually create a short film and sell it as an NFT and get collectors to be aligned with the IP of what that is, right? And that's just one example of where this could go. But I think it's it's really kind of given creatives and creative people the ability to do things without the permission of the gatekeepers that have existed. And that's important for groups that haven't, you know, maybe fit the patterns that mm. these gatekeepers have seen. But it's also people who have only been able to create a living and make a living from brands paying them to make art when yeah. the brands are paying them because the art is dope, right? Like freelance as an ecosystem is big companies hiring the most creative and talented people to make that art in a way that sells their shit, right? NFTs is yeah. now those creative people get to sell their shit. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned, you know, the gatekeeper aspect and it makes a lot of sense. I feel that there could become new gatekeepers, right? Like, how can we mitigate that risk? Because, you know, let's say, for example, I managed to get a people or I managed to get a ferocious, right? In this new collectible culture, those are brand names, right? Um, and so it feels like there's reflexivity on those brand names. And so therefore, these guys will always have high value. But for, for those who are unknown or not known to these savvy and you know network collectors how can these guys really actually sort of stand out in a in what will be a very very crowded space well it is true there could be gatekeepers i think you're already starting to see people try to intermediate themselves in this but the reality is that in the past there has been information asynchrony and opportunity asynchrony and there is no longer information asynchrony or opportunity asynchrony. You just need to educate yourself on the technology and then make your move. And that doesn't mean that there's going to be a giant audience for you from the beginning, but it does mean that you have the ability to go find a hundred collectors instead of a million followers and make a living. You know, there's this concept that Kevin Kelly writes about called a thousand true fans, yeah. which is that with, with the internet era, like, find a thousand of your true fans, you can make a living. And so think of collectibles and NFTs as a way of identifying a thousand true fans. Somebody who collects your work is more than just a passive follower. They become a fan. The 33 top winning bidders of Blau's album are lifelong super fans. They'll get yeah. backstage to all of yeah. his shows. He'll fly them out anywhere. I mean, like, you know, they made him $12 million with an album that he had already released a couple of years ago. 
And that's just because they support his story and his, you know, he's been a core part of the community for a long time. And so, you know, as somebody new, don't try to go do the blue chip Christie's $70 million auction with your art. Just look at this as a way to actually find your super fans and your true fans and build something around that. You know what I like about this is right now we're seeing the the content created and then sold. But the reality is people can start finding artists or content creators that, that fit their personality or their style or their demographic and then say to them, look, we'll help fund it for you to make it and then put it out there. And then people get the chance to do something they wouldn't naturally do because they will get the finance to help them get there or the motivation to help them get there. You see what I mean? Because we're seeing a lot of art coming out from what the artists want to do and putting it out there because they have a recognition already. But what about all those artists that have skill and the talent but have not necessarily had a voice or people to support them climb the ranks? Yeah, there's, a, there's also a moment like this will change things with Christie's. Up until this point, the people who buy NFTs have accumulated digital wealth enough to be able to afford these NFTs. It's rarely people from outside of the sort of inner circle of what this NFT thing or this crypto thing has been. You know, companies like Genies or big artists that have followings that do like maybe Steve Aoki's drop or Dead Mouse's drop. Like, I think they do bring new collectors in. But for the most part, up until this point, it's, it's really been an oversupply of the same kind of whales and people that appreciate and have the crypto. What we need to see now is many more people that are collectors, much more demand, people that, that want to appreciate this and see the opportunity in it. And if we do, it will remain healthy and you know, supply and demand will stay in balance. But yes, mm -hmm. I think to your point, it's so far, it has been the ones that already had an audience or a brand recognition and they brought that to it. And so they brought an excitement, which is why they've broken records or sold a lot of, of mm. art for a lot of money. But I don't think that we're so late. We're still, we're still early enough for somebody who's really talented to kind of make their move in right now and establish themselves as somebody. Do, do interesting collaborations with other artists that are more established or bring something new to it. You know, like I'm here in, in the Netherlands and I'm talking to the deep house world of, of DJs and musicians. And, you know, there's not that many Dutch people who are doing NFTs. And that's an angle to be, you know, the first Dutch DJ to do an NFT or, yeah. you know, that it's, there's a story and an angle here. And it's people a great way to sort of get press and it's a great way to get excitement about it. You could leverage that. That's the moment that we're in right now. I was say, if, if somebody's an artist out there that has an idea of crypto, but is really just going the traditional route, what would you suggest to them to get into this? Where would they go to put it out there and say, hey, I'm here. Look what I can do. This is what I've done in the past on the analog model, but I'm going digital. Well, first off, I, I don't think everyone needs to get into this. I know there's there's a lot of different sort of classes of people's attitudes around this. There's There's those of us that are a part of the community that love what's happening. There are those that see some opportunity and want to make their way in. There are also people who just say, like, I don't want to be part of this, you know, like, I, I don't need to do things this way or, or whatever. So it's, it's still completely fair game to, to choose to or not choose to be a part of this. But if you want to or you're interested, then I would suggest go to Clubhouse and just come into our rooms. It's probably the easiest 
movement ever to become a part of and actually just contribute your voice. I mean, I have a club. I was just notified as the top eight gaming and NFT club on Clubhouse. And it's meant to just be an open door for people to come. And, you know, everyone in the headlines, all of our friends, we're all on stage. We're up there with people. We're up there with Blau while it's happening. And yeah. you can raise your hand. You can come on stage. You can ask a question. It's very open. And for those who want to buy NFTs, they have some crypto knowledge. They bought a bit of ETH or traditional stuff. What would you tell them to go and do first? If they just want to go understand NFT and maybe even see some of this amazing art that's sort of <laughs> maybe a little bit cheaper than the, uh, the some of the big news that's coming out. Well, I'll just run through the platforms. It's probably the easiest way. You have Nifty Gateways, pretty curated and very high-end and blue chip. And there's all kinds of different drops and, and they're really driving towards celebrities and influencers. You got Super Rare, which only does one of ones. So there's just a single work of art that people bid on. You have Maker's Place, which is really bringing traditional art in. They, they're the ones that just did this Christie's auction with people. And mm -hmm. they do some amazing stuff visually. You have other more subculture focused ones like Foundation or Zora, which are great for where this is going to go with music and fashion. And you have Async, which is about programmable art, generative art, art that changes, that has layers to it. And then you have also tools like Origin, which are now building auction features directly into your website. And then you have the open ones like OpenSea, which is the largest in the industry. And most of these platforms pull from OpenSea tech to yeah. do it. But you don't need to ask permission or be approved for OpenSea. It's, it's open. So you could just jump on there. And then Rarible is also open. And the same thing, you just jump on there. It's kind of like the Reddit of NFTs. It's kind of an open community of different factions and organizing principles. And there's no rules, kind of go for whatever you want. And so the more curated ones are definitely longer wait lists to get on and probably a little bit more leaning towards elite. You know, you have to know people. But OpenSea is, is still the, the biggest and still the most open. So there's, there's all kinds of different platforms. But those are the keys. And you kind of just have to feel it out and figure out which one's, which one's the right one for you and, and which one matches the kind of strategy that you have for the way you want to distribute your art. You know what? We had Obviously, we had Bitcoin and we had Ethereum and things started to really become exponential with Ethereum coming online with smart contracts. But I had this really nice, warm, fuzzy feeling when Ethereum went out. <laughs> and then with NFTs, I'm starting to have that same warm feeling like this, is, this has so much trajectory for a lot of people that have traditionally not had an ability to get out there, like you said, have a voice or be part of an industry and not have too many gatekeepers keeping them back. Would you say NFTs, based on where they're going right now, are going to be fundamentally changing the dynamics of economies? Yeah, I think they just did for the art economy. I think they are for the music economy. I think the fashion economy comes next and then gaming. And then it's just a matter of how much are we thrust into a virtual economy? Because this is the way that virtual economies will work. You know, whether it's Ethereum or Flow or any other Cardano or Polkadot, or it, the chain or the ledger itself is less important to the primitive concept of a way of proving scarcity, withholding supply, proving ownership. These are things that are required and manufactured in our economy with these gatekeepers. And if we want to do it in an open way without the gatekeepers in the future, this is the way it will have to be done. Cool. We have around sort of just under 10 minutes left, but I'd love to hear more about what you guys are doing at Crucible. 
a quick introduction around that and sort of why you're building what you're building and what's exciting, like what, what's next for you guys? Yeah, so the vision is the open metaverse. Over the next 10 years, this economy will shape up and it will be game-like. And so we've really designed technology for game developers to build all of these things into games and into virtual worlds. So at the very basis of it, it's portable digital identity for the gamer. And then it's sort of like a personal headquarters for all your identities, all your avatars, and everything that they own. It also gives you the ability in the game to actually spin up a marketplace or do an auction live and have communication, do commerce, but all under your ownership, secure, compliant with data. No other company owns the data. If you build value, it's your value. And if you build relationships, those are your relationships. You're not on a platform. You can't be deplatformed. And everything is done between avatars peer to peer. So it's really the full expression of Web3 and all of the values of Web3, but just brought into the world of, of gaming, video games, avatars, mm-hmm. in-game economies, skins. We haven't seen it done the way that we are doing it yet. I think you know we're very much at a moment where no one's done it yet. They've maybe tried to with some crypto gaming or some blockchain gaming stuff on Ethereum. And now looking forward, it will be inevitable that this is the way things happen. We're just kind of in this pocket and we've designed it in a way that really supports the future that we want to live in. So for developers, it's an SDK that goes to like the Unreal Engine or the Unity Engine and brings Web3 as a set of tools to build into the, the virtual environments themselves. And then for the player, it's this user agent that controls and maintains ownership of avatars. You might have many different personas for different games or different things that you want to do. And this is like one place that is central to you. It's a personal headquarters for all of that. And so that is important for what I call the direct avatar economy that we're headed into, which is that, you know, the way games make money with avatars and skins is the way that business will be done. And it's not just a temporary phase that we're in with marketing. It is a shift like direct to consumer. It is a paradigm into a new way of doing business. And I think the world's starting to wake up to it right now through NFTs. Yeah. And, and I think that's what's like exciting about it because it's sort of it's basically being that foundation for how you can connect the Web3 environment, which you know we we're just talking about, to traditional gaming that it's already a huge market and it's growing at an amazing rate, especially with the news of Roblox and with what Unity are doing. And the concept of sort of having an online persona or digital persona across all these games just makes a lot of sense for how people could actually own any of their sort of wearables, any of their, you know, avatars or skins. And even to some extent, right, I can imagine people could even showcase their NFTs, right? Whenever they're in the metaverse. And that's sort of like, you know, a cool, it's like, you know, how people wear watches, right? <laughs> when going out, it's like wearing your branded sort of collectible that, you know, people will know and highly respect and they can't take it from you, right? It's, it's very difficult to sort of to steal, right? Unless they get hold of a private key. But I guess that's a different story. Yeah. And what's in terms of like the, the traction that you guys have got so far? I mean, where, where are you guys in terms of? you know, with the developers and with, with the game community. Yeah, so I've spent two years really talking to everyone in the industry. There's a spectrum of companies that are resistant to this all the way to the other end, which they are on fire about this. 
And most people kind of like exist in the middle, but I'm choosing to focus really heavily on the one end of that spectrum. And so we had this consortium approach on how we're going to sort of give everyone a seat at the table. I've handpicked about 20 developers that are building with Unreal and started in alpha with five or six of them to start. So we've just begun that and we'll continue to evolve that and actually start to publish developer diaries and, and actually challenge the assumptions around some of these ideas. And then the consortium has now evolved into a DAO. And so over the next several months, we'll be establishing a DAO, which will be the creative engine of the cultural engine of the open metaverse. You know, all the things that are happening with our community and NFTs and where that's already starting to find its way into other industries. I want to harness that and I want to create this engine to actually give people the ability to share this vision, to buy into this direct to avatar economy, and even have an ownership and, and a say in the governance and the direction through voting, and actually really do this sort of together because this is a renaissance that's taking place. And a lot of our friends are the sort of like heartbeat of this renaissance. And, and so this DAO can really be this sort of cultural and creative engine of that renaissance. And our tools and our tech can be the Shopify of this direct avatar economy and this movement to doing business this way. But the vision of the open metaverse is a, it's a, it's a much bigger movement than just our company. It always has been, and it needs to be something where people are aligned and things are interoperable. So mm. we're excited to be moving into this DAO as a structure. And already there's an insane amount of inbound interest on it. So we're going to really dial that in over the next several months. Awesome. Yeah. It's going to be a very, very interesting year, for sure. And it's not just the big numbered sales that are going to drive it. So much opportunity there. I know this podcast and a fair amount of the listenership is around the Middle East and Dubai. And one of our friends and sort of like, you know, collaborators within the ecosystem is, is this project called Terra Virtual out there. So if you haven't really looked at them, it's hmm. pretty incredible, unreal project that is built as an environment for NFTs and collectibles. So that that's that's another example. It's like not everything that we're working with is the game, you know, as you think mm. of it. Some of them are, are that. Some of them are unreal projects for music or for fashion, working with some of the biggest DJs in the world and, and they're building things with Unreal in terms of how these game worlds can be a new stage for performance or a new club for a party. So I think what we're about to see is is actually much bigger than people really imagine. It's it's Crucible is about like, what if Travis Scott could do a live NFT auction in Fortnite while that was going on? And what if those skins that you bought actually had real world value with a secondary market? You know, what if these mechanisms gave you the ability to earn from playing a game? And while maybe the world shifts around us and there's not as much opportunity to make a living, you know, in the same ways, maybe this creative renaissance is a way to actually express yourself and make a living. So there's all these ideas that we really want to support. And again, it's something that's so much bigger than us that we're excited to really open our arms and kind of have this be something that that the community does together. You know, I like the idea of the skins carrying the history of the gamer. And that way, you know, if somebody wins a ton of games, they can sell their skin and you can be the owner of that was the skin that won all these championships. Yeah, I imagine it's going to play out behaviorally in a lot of the same ways that we've seen, you know, normal collectibles. You buy jerseys, you buy baseball cards, and they're signed, and that makes them more valuable. You find a championship jersey signed by 
the MVP of the league, like that's really valuable. So if you find the skin that Bungo won his Fortnite tournament with, and there's only one of them, like those are the kinds of blue chip skins and and collectibles that that we'll probably see. Maybe not that one specifically, but esports will continue to grow and mm. invariably there will be championships and MVPs and there will be skins. And, and I think we're going to start to shape this memorabilia market around the concepts that we understand. Exciting. And on that note, I mean, Ryan, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how can they get in touch? Yeah, we're pretty open. You can go to crucible.network. You can go to the telegram, which is t.me slash open metaverse. We're going to be publishing quite a lot on Substack slash open metaverse. My email is ryan at crucible.network. We've been doing kind of an investment round, but I'm very much going to shift into this DAO. So if there's any interest there, please feel free to reach out. I'll need to kind of like give it a couple weeks to get through, you know, everyone that's coming in, but I'll definitely have something mm. in everyone's hands pretty soon. And yeah, if the interest is just to kind of toe the line and maybe just jump down the rabbit hole, just feel free to reach out or come be a part of the community. We're all very open and it is a paradigm shift. So if, if none of what I've said makes any sense to you, just come in and allow this to be the catalyst that kind of sparks your imagination about what's going on. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Ryan. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you. Thank you.